0: If you do have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you first something that's not going to be on the screen. And then I will highlight the, the first slide for our team in just a second. But um, we, have, we have begun a series uh, for the next couple of weeks called Good News of Great Joy. Good News of Great Joy. Uh, with this as the premise that this. Season. This celebration that we have when we talk about Christmas is good news and it is great joy. The challenge is why? The, the question is why? And uh, the challenge in the church is that we have lost sight of the why or we've complicated the why or we've allowed the world's why to invade and that's what we, uh, that's what we do instead. We just celebrate everything but the reason for this season. Uh, last year, we talked about Advent, and we talked about the meaning of Advent, that Advent means um, the arrival of a notable person, place, or, or uh, event, or something like this, and uh, we talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these promises, he was this notable arrival. This year, we kind of take a little bit of a different angle, and we see why all those things are actually good for us, okay? So why, in fact, they're good news. So we start in Luke chapter 2, which uh, as a kid, uh, every Christmas morning, my dad would, uh, would get us up. Well, he didn't have to really cajole us to get up on Christmas morning for some reason, right? Because we didn't understand the why either, but we knew presents were there. So, so we got up and, and uh, he would always read from Luke 2 every Christmas morning. It just became this tradition uh, for our family. But every time we got to verse 10, all of a sudden this story became meaningful. It, there was life to this story, right? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. This angel is appearing to the shepherds in the field. Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Last week, I shared with you that this idea is a message of good news, a fulfillment of promises from ages past to the Jewish people. When the scripture says that it is good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, this was an angel appearing to shepherds, Jewish shepherds, in a field that were, uh, that were to receive a message in the city of David. So this idea of uh, of a Messiah coming, a king coming. That was good news to them. We talked about it last week, why that's so important. Now that news is good to us because that same king, that same savior, that same Messiah uh, was the fulfillment of a, of a really important promise. Which was that the blessing of God would go to all the earth, not just the Jewish people. It was for us too. Amen? So this this is a huge thing and this is a joyful thing for us as well. But the message starts off targeting the Jewish people. The message starts off by the scripture telling us that God goes first to the Jew, and then they become this light, or those who get saved, which would be the Christian, uh, they become the light of the world, and they go out to the rest uh, of, of the world to see that promise fulfilled. So the story in Luke 2 goes on, and it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and here's our focus for today. Scripture will be on the screen. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Would you guys read that with me real quick? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Okay, so a couple of things to note when we look at this passage. Number one is that peace is the status. This is what God has come to bring. It's peace. But we could go many directions with peace here based just on the English rendering of this. Now, the Greek means something behind it, but this is the problem with an English rendering. It becomes challenging, right? So we could say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The peace could refer to the instrument, that is Jesus. He is our peace. Is that true? Yes, it's absolutely true. Jesus is the peace bringer. He is our peace. And so in this uh, way, we might say, well, what this means is it means the person of Jesus. Peace came among men. And that fits with our narrative of the, in, uh, the incarnation, but the truth is that that's not what the Greek means. Okay, They would have, they would have understood that to be a noun if it were in, case, in uh in fact, supposed to refer to Jesus. But we do know that he is the prince of peace, so it's still true. He is the peace bringer, okay? The other way that we could read it is that God came, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That could talk about unity. could talk about a peaceful state among the people with whom God is pleased. So all of a sudden, the Jewish nation might have peace, or what will become the Christians would have peace. Is that true in light of what Jesus came to do? It can be. <laughs> Most of you are looking at it like, I've been in the church all my life. That ain't always true, <laughs> right? But peace can be the thing that Jesus comes to bring among the people. But the other way to read it, I think the correct way to read it is, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, a status, a state, Peace among men with whom he is pleased. And this is a peace between, as I'll show in just a second, it is a peace between us and God. Do you know that we are not at peace with God in the current state of, like, when we're born, when we come into this world, we're not at peace with God. Now there's going to be some challenge to this because many preachers have screwed this up and preachers today are continuing to screw this up and I'm going to set that record straight and you're going to look at me and go, who do you think you are, Nathan? And I am here to tell you, I'm right. That's who I think I am. Anyway, so <laughs> I know you're gonna, you love me. It's okay. Anyway, somebody already told me that I was mean this morning, Allison. Anyway, but uh, I'm just going to get, I'm going to double down on it this morning. I'm not, I'm not. Okay, so it's going to be good. So peace is the status right off the bat. And that peace is a peace between us and God. So check that off on your box, right? The second thing to note is earth is the domain of this peace. Earth is the domain of this peace. It doesn't say, glory to God in the highest, and someday in heaven, peace among men with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. Now, have you guys experienced that peace? The answer should be yes and no, because of what God is talking about and maybe what God is not talking about. It doesn't mean that there will not be wars and rumors of wars. Can I get an amen? Amen. There will be those things, but we are supposed to have peace in the midst of that. But I want you to understand that the domain is here. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, somewhere in the great by and by, as it is in heaven. No, right now, on earth, as it is in heaven. And it comes via this peace if we will accept it, okay? comes via this level of peace. Okay, the next thing that I want you to note is that people are the object. Look at this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. Sorry, women. No, mankind. Okay, so (laughs) peace among mankind with whom he is pleased. Now, there's a couple ways of rendering that. God is pleased in general with mankind. Does that match up with the rest of the Bible? Nope. He is not pleased with mankind. He is very much disappointed with mankind. Why? Because we rebelled against him. We rejected. All have become enemies of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so we have pushed away from God. But people are still the object. But do you notice that there's a qualifier of those people? People among peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, just stop for a second and think about this. Did Jesus not come in as the Savior of the world? Was the world not a bunch of sinners? How in the world are there people with whom God is already pleased? But He was. He was. Now, this is going to be antithetical to many people from different backgrounds and different persuasions, because what we want to do is we want to chalk up and we want to talk about all the stuff like, your good deeds are nothing but filthy rags before God, and you're a wretched heathen sinner, and blah, 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 okay? Ah, that's true. Doesn't mean God's not pleased with you. Wait a second, Nathan. How is that even possible? Because of the people with whom God is pleased, what is the qualifier for them? We have to ask good questions. Who are these people? And if God is pleased with them, what makes him pleased with them? And better than all of that, how in the world do I get to be that guy? Amen? Do you want to be pleasing to God? Do you want to be the one with whom God is pleased so peace comes to you? The answer is absolutely you want to be those things. The question is, what in the world? How do we get there? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the answer, and it's been this way since the Old Testament, and it's this way in the New Testament, it's not changed the story at all, one iota. It is people who live by faith. It has always been that way. Abraham was a man of faith, and he was pleasing to God. Abraham was not morally perfect, was he? He's actually quite a hack job, (laughs) right? This guy's a mess, makes me feel better. Noah, who's Noah? Noah's a guy who builds a boat. According to Hebrews 11, he was a man of faith. He built a boat. He heard the warning of God. He walked by faith. And then after he gets off the boat, remember why the boat was created. Because God was going to kill the world. There's a happy Christmas message. Anyway, so God is going to judge the world. He sails with his family on this boat. They arrive on shore. He plants a vineyard, gets drunk that guy is a prize winner, okay? But guess what? He's a man of faith. He was a man of faith. David was the same way. What do we always note about David? He's a man after God's heart. What else do we note about David? He's a murderer and an adulterer. There you go. (laughs) Check those boxes off, right? This is fun. And he's those things, and yet what is he? He's a man of faith. And over and over, we see this concept of people being a people of faith. When the scripture says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased, the Bible does not say there were morally perfect men or women that God came down and went, you know what, you're a good person, I'll save you. That was not the truth of the scripture. What it was, was even in our dysfunction, even in our brokenness, God said, you trust me. There has always been a remnant, church. And there always will be a remnant because what makes you a remnant is trust. That's it. It's not everything being together. I I hope you guys are relieved about that. (laughs) Because if you're not that, you have no hope. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us this. For by grace, we have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves... It is a gift of God, and just in case you're wondering how this is rendering, the it and the gift of God is the grace, not the faith, according to Scripture. It is not not consistent with the language to use uh, faith as the antecedent, if you're a person that knows this argument. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that grace is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works. You didn't work for grace, did you? You can't work for grace. And you sure can't work for faith. That's another reason why that's an illogical argument. You don't work for grace, you can't work for grace, so that none of us can boast. This is really important. We are a people who are redeemed by God, saved by God, loved by God, at peace with God because we're a people of faith, and that is it. People ask this question all the time. How were people in the Old Testament saved if Jesus didn't come for thousands of years later? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question because Jesus dying didn't have to fall in a perfect timeline. He did die at just the right time, but it didn't have to fall in a timeline. It would have made more sense to our timelines for Adam to fall and Jesus to come straight in and die, and then we all just trust in him forever, okay? That would have made more sense logically to us, but that's, you know, God's better. Anyway, so the point is, is that it didn't matter where he died. What was required in the Old Testament was people to put their faith or their trust in the promises of God to come, which they did, and we put our trust and our faith in both the fulfillment of those promises 2,000 years ago on a cross and the promises yet to come, which is that he will return and that trumpet will sound and we will not have to deal with American politics ever again, right? Amen? Yes. You guys are all getting riled up, and and this is good. This will set me in the right position. Okay, so it's not about morally perfect people. Instead, it's about a people of faith. So let's go back to Luke 2 again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, there were people like Anna who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There were people like Zacharias who was was waiting for the same thing. People uh, that were faithful to God and they were pleasing to God. It says that Mary was pleasing to God. Elizabeth was pleasing to God. All of these people were people of faith. And so they trusted God, and they rested in him, and he therefore was pleased with them. Okay, so we have this idea that God has come to bring peace to the world. And then the Bible messes with us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34, or verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Now remember, as you're turning there, what we've just established. The angel of the Lord, along with the heavenly host, have come to declare to these shepherds concerning Jesus these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The same Jesus that they're proclaiming in Matthew 10, 34 says this, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, you be? Isn't that fun? What the heck is happening here? Is that a contradiction, guys? Well, the truth is it's not, but do you know why it's not a contradiction? Because the secular world, the skeptical world is going to come in and go, this is just hogwash. On one sense, it says he is peace among men with whom he's pleased, and now he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Which is it, Nathan? You can't be a married bachelor. Which is it? Okay, so either or. The answer is that ne- this is not a contradiction. Both are consistent with the idea because what is happening here is that Jesus has come to bring greater resolution to an idea. And this is the point where, all, where many preachers get this wrong. Okay, and I know that this is going to be hard for some people to hear. This is not a contradiction because the angels came to bring peace, or Jesus came to bring peace, declared by the angels, came to bring peace among men of faith. But people who are not of faith, people who do not trust God, also do not have the peace of God. Did you know that? So those who trust God, those who walk by faith, have peace, and those who don't trust God do not have peace. Jesus has come, and you can read this in the context just a few verses before, there are going to be in the same household, those who trust Jesus and those who don't, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to be divided. They were once a family, and now it's going to be mother against daughter, father against son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, which Jesus didn't come to divide that. But anyway, so the idea here is that it's division like crazy, okay? It's division absolutely everywhere. Jesus has come to bring peace, but he didn't come to bring peace to those who reject him. So what, what does this mean? What does this mean? Doesn't God love everyone? Let's talk about preachers for a second. I don't like preachers. (laughs) I don't even like myself. So anyway, so preachers, here's, here's the challenge. The preacher today says, God loves you. The preacher today says, Jesus loves you just the way you are. The preacher says, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. The preacher says, God loves you and you should rest in that love. And that's true and not fully true. Or it's true and it leaves you hanging. Here's why. Because God does absolutely love all people in the world. For God so loved the world not with whom he is pleased, but the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All, you guys know John three sixteen, But you failed to remember the qualifier, those who believe. God loves all people, but all people are not at peace with God unless they trust God. And please hear me when Todd White and other preachers get up there and they walk up to people on the street corner and say, Jesus loves you. Those people go, awesome, he should love me, I'm awesome. And then they walk away, they never change their life, and guess what happens? They never have the peace of God. Because the preacher is an idiot, and he doesn't preach the full word of God. I know, you guys are like, what, this is great. Okay, anyway, this is the problem in our world, church. You cannot go into your workplace and just tell everybody, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Because you're only speaking half the truth. And half truth is still a lie. Or, it's a truth that doesn't give them any hope. Why? Because they don't know how to change anything about their position. They are loved by the Father. Great. How do they get back to peace with the Father? It's not because he just loves everybody. That's called universalism. God just loves everybody and they all go to heaven. It's not what the Bible says. Think about the story of the prodigal son. You guys know this deeply in your heads. You already know that this is the truth. So it's offensive maybe because we're so inundated by preachers who just want to tell you God loves you. But not enough preachers who want to say, but do you want to have peace with the Father? In order to do that, you must trust him. You must surrender. You must die. You must give everything, okay, in order to be at peace with him. We don't have preachers that preach that because nobody likes that message. What they want is just to hear that God loves them. But we know this fundamentally. Here's, Here's how you know it. How many of you know the prodigal son story? Show of hands. Almost everybody. If you don't know the story, it is roughly summed up as this. Jesus tells a story of a father who has two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son decides he wants to take his inheritance early, which is a very complicated Jewish concept. But anyway, he wants to take his inheritance early and he wants to go out and live his own life. This effectively is the son saying to the father, I wish you were dead, don't care about you, and I want to do my own thing. So he goes off and he squanders this inheritance on wayward living, the scripture says, and you can think the biggest level of debauchery you want to think of, but he wants to live wayward, so he does this. In the midst of this, he finds, he's a good Jewish boy though, in the midst of this, he finds himself eating out of the pig pen, which is revolting to the Jew, and he, he sees himself at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit, okay? And so he's there, and in this moment, he remembers that his father was a good father, because the Bible also tells us it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. This is true, okay? So he remembers that his father is a good father, and he says this according to the scripture. He says, it would be better for me to be a servant in my father's house than to do what I'm doing. It would be better if I was a servant in my dad's house than for me to be the king of my own world. So he turns and he goes back. Now here's why you already know the fundamental truth that I've just shared with you. And that is this. Do you think that the father ever stopped loving his son even though he ran away? The answer is no. He never stopped loving him. But was the son at peace with his father just because his father loved him? No. The son was dead And he didn't become alive until he trusted his father and came back. The son was lost and he wasn't found until he trusted his father and he came back. Guys, the message that God so loved the world is a wonderful message. But it has to be backed up with. God has come to bring peace with those Two men with whom he is pleased. And he is pleased with people who trust him by faith and no other way. No other way. We do not believe in a gospel that you just get to walk around and go, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Good. They might still go to hell because you have no idea what you're talking about. What are we doing with this message? The prodigal son proves the story. The father never stops loving his son, but peace is be, peace is had when faith is instituted or when faith is uh, shown, right? And this is the message that we need to preach. In Christmas, what we're declaring is that God came to bring peace among men with whom he is pleased. But the beautiful message that Christ continues to proclaim is that he wants that none should perish, but that all come to life, and all that we have to do is believe. Is that not amazing? That is good news of great joy. It is not good news of great joy to hear that, I, that God loves me, but not to hear what he wants of me. That's not good news of great joy. That's half news, and it's pitiful. It's good news of great joy when I hear God loves me, he wants me to be at peace with him, and he's made a way to be at peace with him, and that is trust him. Have faith. It is also good news of great joy because all that's required is trusting him. It is not getting my act together and being perfect. Does it mean that you will not want to honor him with obedience and holiness and righteousness? Well, of course you want to do that. But why would you want to do that? Because your dad loves you. Because your dad wants to be at peace with you. Does that make sense? This is so important for us, church. You see, the world believes that the Christmas message is peace on earth. How many of you know that that, that's actually what you were taught? What's Christmas? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. You didn't even finish the sentence. Peace on earth among men with whom God is pleased. Other than that, sword on earth. There's the new motto. Jesus came, sword on earth, come to me, this would be great, right? No, peace on earth is not the motto of Christmas. Peace on earth among faithful is the motto of Christmas. Please, please, please understand this, church. We have not done the gospel uh, well We have not been faithful to it even because we're not connecting all the dots. So we have God's love because love precedes peace. And then we have God's peace, which is begotten because we trust in God. So the peace of God, though, affects many areas of our life. The first one that we need to remember is that the peace of God, when we have faith or trust in God, it sets us right with God. It sets us right with him. How many of you know that you were sinners saved by grace? How many of you know that? And, and it's a different question. It's a bit more nuanced. How many of you know that? <laughs> right? I'm not talking about how many of you acknowledge the fact you were sinners saved by grace. I'm talking about how many of you, like, if, if somebody got into your mind, they'd be horrified. Right? How many of you know you are sinners saved by grace? Yes, you are sinners saved by grace, and you violated the God of the universe. You had committed this kind of cosmic treason against God. And when Jesus comes, if you will put your trust in him, he came because he loved you. And if you will put your trust in him, you can have peace between you and him. This is an important message, guys. And this is lost on the church. And here's what happens when a preacher like myself comes and reorders the thing. People go, can you not just tell us that Jesus was born in a manger and we go home happy? And my answer is, if you'll listen to what I'm saying, you'll be much happier. Because what I'm saying is the truth. Paul had this problem with his church in Galatia, too, when he said, are you my enemy now? Because I told you the truth. Right? Told you? I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Are you my enemy now? Because I've tailed you the truth. I'm talking like Barney. Anyway, so, um, sorry, that's, he just got one of those voices, tailed you the truth. Anyway, so, the idea is, this is the truth. This is the message people need to be hearing. This is what they need in order to have true peace. The peace is between us and the Father. How many of you know that the Bible is pretty um, pretty graphic and harsh when it comes to its description of our depravity and our brokenness. How many of you know that? It tells us, as I referred to earlier, that our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags to God. Sound fun? Right? It's refuse, it's trash, it has a very clear literal meaning in their context. right? So it is filthy rags, but please don't buy into the modern narrative The modern, certain modern church narratives that want to keep those things alive. You now, if you trust God by faith, you are at peace with God. Please understand this. There is now no condemnation for you, no matter how much the preacher wants to turn you back around and make you feel guilty about everything you've ever done. I've been guilty of this and I'm sorry. You are loved. You are at peace, and you are at peace in a way you don't fully understand. The reason why Christians still walk around with such guilt and such shame is because preachers like me stink at our job. We're not getting the message right. The message now is that if I'm at peace with the Father, I don't have to worry about him bringing it back up, do I? The preacher keeps bringing it up, but God doesn't. You know what happens when the son runs back home to the prodigal? The prodigal son runs home, back home to the father? He runs back home. The father throws a party for him. The brother says, that guy's a dirtbag. And the dad goes, I know, all of his good works are nothing but filthy rags to me, but let's party. That's not what he says. He goes, listen, dude, everything I have is yours too. Go in and enjoy. Go in and enjoy. He throws a party for the son. This is true of us. Do we get high and mighty in light of this? Do we get, uh, you know, cocky or stupid about it? No, hopefully not. But instead, we go back and we know life is good. It's a daggone party in the Father's house. Do you know this? Do you know this deeply? Because this is the problem with foolish preaching. Preaching. The problem with bullish preaching is we don't know it anymore. And we're like, i got to get up on Sunday and i got to th- say my Hail Marys. We're not even Catholic, but you know, say my Hail Marys. We're going to go to confessional. We're going to do all this rigmarole and all this other stuff. Should you repent? Yes, you should repent. Should you confess your sins? Yes, you should confess your sins. You should do that in light of the fact that you are a redeemed son, a lost son that is now found, a dead son that is now alive. The Father is not looking at you in this weird Hairy-eyed way that is going, I disapprove of you. You're at peace with him. You guys are like, where does he get these weird sayings? Anyway, it's, it's my dad. Anyway, okay. So, so first, we're at peace with God. And when, you, when I say we're at peace with God, I mean we're at peace with God. I mean it's happy peace, guys. This is unbelievable. The second thing is that we're supposed to have a peace that affects our relationship with one another. And you know why it should affect our relationship with one another? Because I know I'm a goofball and I know you are too. And I know he loves us both. Can you turn to somebody and say, I'm a goofball just like you? Mark Williams' only response to this is, Emmy already knows. <laughs> I know that. It's, it's you I'm worried about, right? So, so the point is, peace is supposed, this peace is supposed to affect our relationships with one another. The scripture says that we, uh, we are to uh, live at peace with one another. And as a matter of fact, our peace and our unity with one another is supposed to be a telltale sign we're Christ followers. The only way you'll live at peace with other Christians is if you actually humble yourself and realize me and Jerry cluster are the same guy. It doesn't matter professional Christian factory guy. It doesn't matter. The truth is redeemed heathen. <laughs> right? Amen? Can I get an amen, Jerry? Let's get a better one. Okay, so redeemed heathen. You, we are all that. And then when we humble ourselves, peace comes better. Peace comes more natural. Peace will, always be a, um, peace will always be beyond our reach if we keep walking around going, well, at least I'm not like that guy. And when I say that guy, I mean Trent Davis. Anyway, so, <laughs> right, at least I'm not like that guy. No, the, the point here is that peace comes among us when we realize we're all equal. We're all equal. It doesn't matter who we are. We are redeemed by one thing. The grace of God, and we believe that, and that's what brings us peace. The third thing that peace affects, or should affect, is our relationship to the world. The scripture tells us, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Everybody. Insofar as it depends on you. This is fascinating. When somebody cuts you on traffic, cuts you off in traffic, I can't talk today. It's okay. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, does that offend you? No, you're lying. Anyway, <laughs> that's so stupid. I I read a great meme t- the other day. It said it said the Lord moves in mysterious ways, but you don't have to use your turn signal. Right? Okay, so so it, it makes you mad, it makes you mad when people cut you off in traffic, but it still depends on you, so live at peace with them, right? Don't chase them down in the name of Jesus, Dave Sosa, right? Don't chase them down in the name of Jesus, don't beat them, right? We're not doing this, we're living at peace with people. But let's get a little less jokey. We're going to Christmas, and we're about to meet family that we just don't like. And they say everything that makes us that upset and frustrated because they keep bringing up everything about us that we don't like, that they hate, or whatever, uh, insofar as it depends on you live at peace. And guess what? You can do it. You're like, no, Nathan. (laughs) You don't know my sister, right? Right? I don't care who your sister is. She ain't the devil, no matter what you think. Okay? Which means you can live at peace with her. Right? Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yes, I'm looking straight at you. (laughs) Love your enemies. Right. Pray for those who persecute you. Insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with people. You can live at peace with anybody. I tr- I promise you, you can. You can live at peace. Nathan, you have no idea. It, they they treat me horrible, tough. You're the example. You're the light of the world in this. Don't hide it under a bushel. Do you get what I'm saying? Are you? my dad would also say, are you picking up what I'm laying down? I've never been able to use that until now. That's so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> it's only dumb because I heard it coming out of my mouth. <laughs> anyway, You guys are like, what, what did he take this morning? <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Nothing, I promise. I promise I didn't take anything. Do what? <laughs> yes. So the peace that comes through faith alone is again what makes this season good news of great joy. And the good news of great joy is that God loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us, but those who will trust him are the men with whom, or the people with whom, he is pleased. Amen? This is such a big deal. It's such a big deal. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to turn the corner and we're going to talk about faith in action because the other thing that the modern church seems to want to shy away from is um, the concept or the idea of holiness. And we want to separate it from faith uh, and put it in the category of works because because we don't want to do it, <laughs> and we don't want to do it, and we justify it by saying, well, I'm not saved by my works. But please hear me. That, that is a very, very bad perversion of what the Scripture actually says. If I'm going to trust my dad, say... Right? And my dad says, you go to this point, and I will meet you there, and, you know, and we'll go from there, we'll be good. I'm going to trust him that he's going to be there. I'm not just going to believe he'll show up there. I'm going to actually meet him there, which means I'm going to do my part, he's going to do his part, and I'm going to be rewarded by his presence when I get there. What the modern church has made belief into is just a mental ascension that God's going to do something out the by and by. This is not what the Bible talks about at all, right? Faith is believing loyalty to God. Faith is trust in God. And so you're going to walk with him and you're going to talk with him. And so we're going to see next week how that actually is good news of great joy. It's good news of great joy. You know that King David said that the, the law is actually joyful. It's actually a blessing. It's actually good. It is. It really is. The law is good. Of course, it is good if it's used lawfully, <laughs> right? It's not good if you're trying to earn your way to God. But it actually isn't burdensome. It's very good. It's very good. And we're, it's going to bring you peace. So next week, we'll talk about good news of great joy when we put faith into action.